you are gonna love this. Dave? Is there something on your mind? No! Hey! Hey, Sparky. What's up? Is now a good time to chat with you? Okay, so, um... Well, remember when we went to lunch last week and we had a really good time? I had a really good time, and I remember sitting there thinking that this is going really well, and I asked you if everything was okay, and you said everything was going okay, but I really don't think everything was okay. I think that something was going on. And <laughs> I thought that, that maybe I did something wrong, or I did something that, that was between us or something, and I've been losing a lot of sleep over this at night, and I just wanted to come in and clear the air and make sure that everything was really okay. What? What, what are you talking about? Colin, you are so sensitive. I'm not sensitive. I'm trying to handle this like friends for once. Uh, we're kinda like friends. <laughs> I know it's stupid, but I just want your approval. I, I wanna be a real worship leader. <laughs> you understand me? I have this stupid haircut because I wanna impress you. I wanna be a real worship leader. <laughs> Everybody knows you're not a real worship leader until you can show an expressive crescendo. Colin, you are real. You're a real worship leader. What? You even use haze in your services. You don't even take me seriously. I do take you seriously. I'm just trying to understand you. Why can't I keep it together?
Colin, Colin, listen, man. I, listen, okay? Hey. What? I just, I just got one thing I want to share with you. You got to get a grip on your feelings, man. Come on. Oh, my goodness. Do you see what it's like to work with worship artists? I mean, it is just one emotional roller coaster after another. All right? Well, welcome to the last or the second part of our series called Getting a Grip. Colin, thanks for letting us have some fun with you this weekend, wherever you went. All right? And um, last weekend, we talked about getting a grip on our mind. I'm sure you remember that at Loring Park and at Edina, and I want to welcome those campuses here. I hope your worship leader is a little bit more stable than ours. Uh, but uh, this weekend, we want to talk about getting a grip on our feelings or our emotions. And uh, someone has said that our feelings uh, are the hardest things to deal with in our lives, and I'm sure you're well aware of that. In fact, I heard someone compare our feelings to naughty little children. And so the question I want to ask you is, how have your children been behaving when it comes to thinking about your emotions, especially these last uh, probably several days when you've been cooped up with family, and uh, sometimes that can lead to a lot of joy, and sometimes it can lead to just a little bit of exasperation. So what kind of naughty feelings have you had recently? Anger? Anxiety? How many of you have felt maybe obnoxious? Or you felt kind of down and kind of sullen or kind of discouraged? Or maybe you felt a little bit of shame or a little bit of guilt. Where do all these bad feelings come from? And why is it we struggle so much to maintain control of our emotions, whether it's our own or, you know, if we're a parent, helping our kids get to that place. What's, what's going on in our lives? And to ask that question, we're going to go back to the drawing board. So get your pens out, your Crayolas, and we'll kind of map this out together. Last time we were together, I talked a little bit about um, our mind. And so if you don't mind, I want you to kind of draw this out with me for just a moment. And last time, I made a great big face, but I had to change it up because of the technicality of the drawing this weekend. But uh, on the top half, all right, I want you to write down what the three components are of the mind. And that is when we talk about our mind, we're talking about our thoughts, thoughts that we have. We're talking about ideas, okay? And then we're talking about the images that we have. And the thoughts are all the ways that we're aware of what's going on around us. Ideas are the thoughts kind of strung together about something common and then talking about those things. And then images are the ways that we express our thoughts and ideas. And you might want to give yourself a happy face, all right? And we said that in the very beginning, it was God who informed all of our thoughts and ideas and images. He informed that with his love and he informed that with his truth. The result of that was when I think about God or when we thought about God and we thought about others, when we thought about ourself, we thought about the infinite environment around us, we, we looked at it and we thought about it based on the lenses or looking through the lenses of love and the lenses of truth. Now, here's a question I want to ask you. In the very beginning, did Adam and Eve have feelings? And the answer to that question is absolutely. In fact, um, maybe a little bit of homework is in line. It was a couple of months ago that we talked about 
relationships, and I mentioned the fact that in Genesis chapter 2 that God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and God took out of Adam a rib, and God fashioned this unique creature called a woman, and he brought the woman to the man, and we said that in the Hebrew, there is more than just a word there. There's actually an expression. There's an emotion there. And when Adam saw her, what did he say? Whoa, that was really bad at Eden Prairie Campus. There are some, there are some husbands that are in big trouble. I don't know about Lori Park or Edina, but what he said is the equivalent of wow. So on the count of three, everybody say wow. One, two, three. Wow. wow. All right, now I want all the husbands at all our campuses if your wife is with you, to look at your wife right now, and I just want you to count three to say, wow, with some happiness and joy. One, two, three. Wow. We need help. We need help. All right? God, God made emotions. God made feelings. All right? And so what I want you to do on your drawing is I want you to start here, kind of like a nose, and I just want you to write the word going down, the word feelings, which we heard a lot about tonight. Okay? God gave... Adam and Eve feeling so that through his influence of their minds, God would then be able to allow them to use their feelings to rejoice in him, right? And to rejoice in each other. Those are kind of like arms, all right? And so the whole idea was that God gave these wonderful gifts of feelings to enjoy him and to enjoy one another, and to enjoy the infant environment that he had made for us all. And what a, rejoice, what a way to rejoice, what a way to celebrate. I mean, think about this, guys. Eve was always in a good mood, and so was Adam, all right? They were always in a good mood. Uh, you couples that are here this weekend, let me see your hands if you're at any of our campuses, couples, all right? Have you guys been in a good mood the whole week? Or had there been a few moments when one of you has been a little bit out of sorts, right? Where does that come from? Why can't we maintain this good feeling, these good emotions, these good moods? And the answer to that question is Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, we discover that somebody else shows up in the garden. Remember, the serpent shows up, right? And Satan speaks to the serpent and does not bring love and truth, but brings hate and lies in essence, says to the man and the woman, why do you want to depend on God? Why don't you depend on yourselves? Why don't you be your own God? Take the fruit that God says you're not supposed to take. Remember the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? You decide what's good and you decide what's evil. You be your own God. Don't listen to God. He's keeping something from you. And so Adam and Eve listened to the serpent instead of God, and the result was sin entered their lives, and all of a sudden, they began to think very differently about God, differently, very differently about others, and very differently about themselves. Instead of being God-centered, which is what they were before Genesis chapter 3, they became, they became feeling-centered. And all of their children, which includes you and me, struggle with this whole issue. For all of us, all of us by nature, are very feeling-centered. So now, instead of thinking about my emotions being a way that I can express love to God and love to others, what happens is, in our sinful state, okay, we become like a black hole, right? And everything exists for us. 
and it exists for meeting our desires and making us happy. And when someone or something does not meet my desires, I feel this emotion called what? Anger, right? And you can, anger, the definition of anger is an unmet demand. Whenever you're angry, whenever I'm angry, it's because someone or something isn't meeting my demands, isn't meeting what I desire. James does a great job of kind of summarizing what's going on in our lives. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And Jesus warns us in John chapter 8, verse 34, he said, Verily, truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So if I'm feeling centered, what that means is that my feelings want to control my life. And all of us battle with our emotions constantly. They're always trying to usurp. They're always trying to, in essence, run our lives, control or manage our lives. And when you put us all on the planet together, and we're all feeling centered, it means that we are in this conflict with each other constantly and with the environment and with God to have our needs met because we're all trying to be our own little gods. And that's what's wrong with the world. I was having a conversation with somebody today. They just sat across from me for a few moments, and they just said, I am so disillusioned. I am so discouraged. I'm watching what's going on in this world. Why? 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 Why is it so bad? Why is it so terrible? And I said, I understand how you feel. I'm watching the news. I'm listening. I'm looking. I'm hearing, and I wonder the same thing. But the answer is, it's because all however many billion there are of us, six or seven billion of us, are trying to be our own God. And so there's a lot of air being taken out of the room, so to speak. We're all wanting somebody to make us happy. But here's the problem with when you live that way, when your worldview is that life is all about my happiness. Ultimately, it leads to this word that you'll frequently hear kids use, and it's the word boredom. How many of you have ever heard your child or grandchild tell you they're bored? You know what the best comeback for someone that tells you they're bored is? Just look at them and say, you're not bored, you're just boring. That's the issue. You're not bored, you're just, you're just boring because you've made it all about you. Now, I want, I want us to think about that, and in particular in, the, in, in parenting and, and in family kinds of relationships for just a moment. And I want you to watch how this, how this is like a snowball. It just, it just rolls and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I want you to see how being feeling-centered affects even our own economy. So here's the way it works, okay? I want my desires met. I live in a world that caters to meeting my desires. And most of what's available to meet my desires costs me something. I gotta pay for it in order for it to meet my desires. The problem is that the things that I love today that are meeting my needs and my desires, I quickly get bored of. I quickly get tired of. That's, what's, that's the insanity of the Christmas season, isn't it? You go out and you buy the kids what they so want. Well, they just have to have it. And two months later, it's broken, or two months later, it's forgotten someplace. And when you bring it out and say, here, remember this? They're like, I don't want to play that anymore. All right? Now, as adults, we do it, but we just do it a little bit differently. 
I'm, I'm, I'm bored with it. I need the thing that's bigger and better. I need the newest version of the iPhone. I need the newest version of the iPad. I need what's faster. I need what's smarter. I need, I need what's more fun, what's more colorful. And so what happens is parents go out there and they, they work hard to earn money, but in order to work hard to earn money, they can't spend enough time with their kids, so they feel guilty about it. To overcome their guilt that they feel, they buy their kids what the kids want so that the kids will feel happy. Because when the kids feel happy, then the parents feel better about the time they're not spending with their kids, except for when the kid gets bored of what you bought them, and they're not happy anymore. Now, all of a sudden, you're not so happy, so you work harder to buy more to make them happy. Do you see the insanity of that? I mean, what's that? What is that? What becomes our source of happiness at that point? Our source of happiness becomes things. It becomes pleasure. It becomes people. It becomes success. It becomes money. And that is just, that's insane. It's irrational. You just can't keep living that way. Eventually, it, it, you know, it all goes away. Eventually, you can't have enough. You can't keep enough. And it's like being on, a, it's like being on drugs and trying to stay on a constant high. When your feelings run your life, they destroy your life. Look what Dallas Willard, the philosopher, said. He said, in modern life, feelings will come to exercise almost total mastery over the person because people in this condition have to constantly decide what they want to do, and feelings are all they have to go on. Feelings are good servants, but they are disastrous masters. And so the question I'm going to put out to Edina and Lauren Park and to Eden Prairie is this. Are your feelings right now, are they servants who are under the control of God, working through your mind and your life? Or are your feelings these gremlins that are running and ruining your life, saying that life is all about me being happy? What are you going to do to make me happy today? How... How do we move from being feeling-centered, right, back to being God-centered? How do we get our emotions under control? Now, the answer is actually quite simple, but it's not easy to put in practice. The answer is I've got to find a way of moving my feelings toward a different source of satisfaction, a source not based on lies, a source that's not based on hatred, okay? Because we, you know, in our flesh without Christ, we hate people, we hate systems, we hate things that don't meet our desires. That's our nature. We may not come out and say we hate it, but our, our feelings are that way. We have ill will towards those things that don't satisfy us. So the question becomes, how do I move myself away? How do I move my feelings away from that? How do I move my feelings toward an eternal, truthful source of satisfaction? The answer to that question is I got to get a right perspective on God and this life, on the truth and what are the lies of this world. And what I want us to do is I want us to look at a passage of Scripture together found in Romans chapter 5. And I want to read this passage, and I want to work through it with you, all right? So Romans chapter 5, if you also want to follow along in your Bible, this is from the New Living Translation, which I want to use because, because I realize that across all of our campuses, we all have different backgrounds with Scripture. Some of us, you know, have been seminary educated. Some of us 
we've hardly ever read the Bible. It's just not been our thing. And, and I want to use a language that we can all kind of appreciate. But Paul says, therefore, he says, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And he says, we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. You say, wow, that's just a lot of words. Not only is there a lot of words on the screen, it's just a lot of words to think about. So let's break it down and let's look at what Paul is telling us because it shows us how to shift our feelings. I want to highlight this first segment here. He says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith. Some versions just use one word called justification. We've been justified. What Paul's talking about is the fact that Jesus Christ has made us right with God. How did he make us right with God? He took on himself our guilt. He took on himself our shame. He took on himself the condemnation that was due us because the Bible says the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He did all that for me. He took it all off me, right? So in exchange, he could offer me forgiveness. So in exchange, he could give me peace. So in exchange, he could give me hope. Paul puts it this way in Colossians chapter 1. He says, this includes you who were once far away from God. That's all of us before we came to Christ. You were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Know all about that. How about you? Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into this, into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Now, let's just focus on that verse for a moment. I, just, I want you to read that on your own and absorb it for just a moment. And as you absorb it, the question I want to ask you is, do you believe it? Because what this verse is saying is based on what Christ has done for you. Right now, as you sit here, or as you sit at your campus, God looks at you as though you had never sinned, as though you were still in the garden, and so you are still perfect. Nothing bad ever happened to you. And he accepts you that way, and he loves you that way, all based on what Christ has done for you and for me. Do you believe that? Do you own that? Do you accept that? I mean, what greater truth is there in the world than that fact? Let's go back to Romans chapter 5 again. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. We just saw that. Now, look at another phrase here. He says, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. How did you get there? How did you get to that place where God looks at you that way? Is it because of how good you are or all the good works you've done or the fact that you were born into a Christian family or you were baptized or you went through some ritual? Absolutely not. It's an undeserved privilege. You don't deserve it. God did it for you only for one reason, because he loves you and because he loves me. Passage goes on, it says, where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. So the next phrase I want you to focus on is this phrase, sharing God's glory. What does that mean? 
It means because of what Christ has done for you and me, because this undeserved privilege, one day you and I are going to share in God's glory. In other words, one day we're going to stand with God in eternity. One day we will live on this earth when the, when the earth is reconditioned, repurposed by God. And we'll share in all of his riches, in all of his glory, something we don't know totally right now, something has begun in our hearts but will be fully realized someday when we stand before God. And what an amazing day that's going to be. Now, I want you to watch Paul's thinking. Follow it with me now. He says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. How many of you rejoice when you run into problems and trials? <laughs> I don't normally rejoice. That's usually when my emotions act up. It's not when I get happy. That's when I get unhappy. But Paul says, no, 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 no. He says, listen to this. Based on everything that's been done for you, you and I, we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. Well, what's that mean? Well, look at verse 4. And endurance develops strength of character. You keep going, and he says, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We read that already. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. In other words, what Paul is saying is, look, living this life is not easy, but understand this that God can even take the disappointments and the hardships of this life and use it toward a good end to wean us away from thinking that things are the source of happiness. Because they're not. If you follow the trail of thinking that things are always what's going to make you happy, you're going to end up living a miserable life, and in the very end, all those things will be taken away. The old saying says, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul because you cannot take it with you, right? So things don't work. Things rust, things give out, things are gone. So God can even take the hard things of life to, to wean us away, to show us in our hardships, in our difficulties, in our suffering, in our, in our cancer, whatever it is, to show us that this world doesn't matter a whole lot and to get us to look up and to get our emotions focused on what does matter, and that's who he is and what he's done for us. When I'm able to lift my eyes up, when I'm able to move my eyes towards him, when I understand he's the ultimate source of joy, the ultimate source of happiness, then, then different emotions begin to take over my life. And he points these emotions out throughout the passage. The, the emotions of joy he talks about, rejoicing he talks about in the passage of Scripture. He also talks about the love that's available to us. He talks about the peace that we have as really result of what God has done for us. And so joy and peace and love can rule our hearts because I, I've, now, I've now moved my, my emotions away from you and, and I've moved my emotions away from myself and I've moved my emotions away from the environment and material things. I've moved my emotions back to my creator, my original source. And I realize how much he loves me, and I realize he's put his spirit in me. And what happens is I now, I now begin to give way to his presence, and I begin to give way to his power, and I begin to give way to his peace and to his joy and to his love and to his kindness and to his goodness and all the healthy emotions that you want to run your life. And 
that you want God to fill you with. And I just want to use one as an example. I want to talk about love for just a few moments. A lot of emotions we can talk about, but I think, you know, the greatest of these is love. And what, is it, what does it mean to have God's love pulsating in me? I love Dallas Willard's definition of love. It's one of the best definitions I know. He says, love, God's love, is willing good. Willing good to another. Willing good to God. Willing good to my spouse, my children, to a stranger, to my enemies, to myself. To love means to will good. Love is not a feeling. Love is an act. It's an act of the will. The feelings come afterwards, but primarily it's an act of the will. We're called to will good toward others. Look what, look what the scriptures say. Jesus said in John 13, he said, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now, the passage of scripture uh, puts it this way. It says, we love each other because Why? He first loved us. So this is not a human love. This is not a love I manufacture on my own, okay? This is a love that God places in me through his presence, through his word, through his spirit. The only way that love gets, gets used and gets realized in my life is I have to. It's kind of like the, the bike and the pedal. I have to push the pedal. I have to act in that love. And then the love comes along. I want to tell you two stories um, of this. One is a personal experience in my own life. Um, years ago, when we were living in California, I, I met uh, a neighbor, and I hate to tell you this, but I didn't like my neighbor, okay? His name was Jack. I think I've told you about him before, and Jack didn't like me. We would come out of our houses, we would look at each other, and we'd sneer at each other. You know how, you know how to sneer? Kind of get that look, right? Just the way he carried himself, the way he acted, the way he dressed, the way he talked, walked, the whole nine yards. He just didn't like him, and he didn't like me. It was really clear to both of us we didn't like each other. So we rarely said words to each other. And yet I knew in my heart that that was not a good attitude for a Christian to have, especially of a pastor to have. And I battled God over this whole thing. It's like, God, I know I'm supposed to like him. I'm supposed to love him. I'm supposed to want the best for him. But God, inside my heart, I can't find that feeling. I can't find that emotion. My emotions, my Dale Hummel sinful emotions, I don't want to talk to him. I don't even want to see him if it's possible. And God just kept hammering me, hammering away, and, say, and saying to me, I'm not asking you to use your emotions. I'm asking you to give way to mine. I need you to willfully act on what I feel about him. Well, I found out that Jack's mom was living with him and that she was dying of cancer. And now all of a sudden, the, the temperature got turned up in my life. You have got to go, and you've got to minister to that family. So like, finally, I'm like, okay, God, I give up. I'm going to go show some love. So I walked across the street and went down and stood in front of his door. Jack was, 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 was a real character, to say the least. And on the front of the door was a little sign, and it has this revolver sticking straight out at you on the sign. And it says, believe in life after death, question mark, trespass here and find out. And I thought, that's why I don't like him. So I knocked at the door, and when I knocked at the door, door opened up and there was Jack and he was as shocked to see me as I was shocked to be standing there. And I just looked at him and I said, Jack, I said, listen, I've been thinking about you and I know your mom's here and she's dying of cancer. And listen, could I pray for her? 
And all of a sudden, this really tough guy who hung out with a very um, dangerous motorcycle gang, who fought in the Vietnam War, who just was, you know, he's a motorcycle kind of guy, started getting tears coming down his face. Not what I expected. And to make a really long story short, Jack became one of my dearest friends in the world. And a year later, I had a chance to lead him to faith in Christ and watch God just change his life. And God changed my life. When he died this spring, it just broke my heart and I wept. But the joy I have is I know I'm going to see Jack someday in heaven. Now, the reason I tell you that story is not say, ooh, look at me, as much as say, ooh, look at me. Look at the attitude I had. Look how I felt in my own emotions, my own feelings. How did I have to break past that? I had to push on that pedal. I had to say, even though I don't feel like loving, I'm going to give way to God's love. I'm going to will to love. And you know, it's only after I willed to love that the love of God just took over my emotions. And all my love came together toward Jack. Now I want to tell you a different kind of story. And I'm going to call this person Sam because I want to protect their identity. They live in India. Sam is uh, one of our one of our, part of our TTI, part of the church plants we're doing throughout Asia. And Sam uh, is a church planner, and he's in a very difficult place in the north of India. And he's planted a church there, and he's showing the love of God, and there's a witch doctor in his, his village. The witch doctor absolutely hates Sam, obviously, and hates what Sam is doing. And so what the witch doctor did for quite a while is the witch doctor would purposely bring his cows, his goats, and any other critters he had into the building that Sam was using as the church. The animals would defecate all over the building and get in the way and make all kinds of noise and trash things. And Sam had a choice. He'd get angry at this witch doctor, lay into him, go to the authorities, or he could will to love the guy. He knew what he was supposed to do. So he willed to love the guy. And he'd yell at him, and he'd get upset with him. He put things back together when the animals were gone, cleaned everything up after the animals were gone, and he just kept moving forward. The witch doctor began to curse him and lay curses upon him and curses upon the congregation. But Sam taught his people that the response we're supposed to have is godly, men and women and good Christians is to love that witch doctor back. And so day after day of being cursed, of being harassed, of being made fun of, of being threatened, he just kept loving and loving and loving and loving until one day the witch doctor said, could you come to my house? I want to sit down and have a conversation with you. And he went to the man's house. And the witch doctor says, I've been doing everything I can think of to make you hate me, but you won't. Why? Sam shared Christ with him, and the good news I have for you is that in the last two years, this witch doctor has become a follower of Christ and is now planting a church. Now, why do I tell you a story like that? Because I want you to see what happens when we make room for God's love. When we get our emotions lined up under him. And so when I think about that conversation I had this morning with this individual, they're telling me the world is so bad, it's so messed up, it's so evil, it's just so dark. And I agree, it is. The worst thing we can do 
is to buy into all that hatred and all that anger and all those wrong emotions that we just see everywhere today. What we have to do is say, I don't care what others are saying, what others are feeling, I will choose, I will choose to will good toward others, even my enemies. That is a sign of truly having your emotions under the control of God's spirit. And you and I, we can get there. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we confess to you that one of the greatest challenges we face in our life is our emotions. And it is so hard to control them, God. It is so easy in this world we live in to become their slaves rather than making them our servants, actually your servants. So we, Father, recognize our need to surrender to you. We need to surrender our minds to our thoughts, our ideas, our imagination. And God, we need to surrender to you our emotions, our feelings. God, we want to confess to you right now if there are some emotions that are out of control in our life. We ask you to forgive us, oh God, for acting in our feelings. And we ask those who we have hurt, Lord, they would forgive us too. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just get a hold of our feelings. God, we would recognize that you're the source of love. You're the source of truth. You're the source of hope. That all the things the world offers us to make us feel better eventually fails us. So God, I ask that you'd help us to shift our, our view from this very material world, this very hateful, jealous world to you your love and to your grace to your mercy and your forgiveness and I pray oh God that our greatest joy will not be the newest electronic gadget we have will not be our success will not be our paycheck will not be the approval of men and women that our greatest source of joy will be you we ask this in Christ's name I'd like to ask you to stand. And as we close together this evening, I, I want us to just sing a song of surrendering to God, surrendering our whole lives, our mind, our will, our emotions, and letting him have the control that he bought with the blood of his son and that he deserves. <laughs>